Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest on today's episode of Mike's Search for Meaning is Kat Tweedy. Kat holds a fire for honoring this one life. She is committed to the inner work needed to live in harmony with each other and the earth. She brings 12 years of facilitation experience and 20 years of meditation practice, and she supports individual healing and growth through relational work, attention practices, and movement. Kat was an all-American pole vaulter in college, earned her PhD at MIT in materials science and engineering, and traveled the world managing and facilitating transformational change projects in private companies and public organizations. For most of Kat's life, she thought she was happy and healthy, but at 37, a physical breakdown left her bedridden for nine months, dependent on her family and community. This experience let her see how deeply her sense of contentment had been dependent on her achievements and ability to please others. Her body's vitality returned as she began honoring the needs she had learned to dismiss. At home in Oregon, Kat facilitates women's circles exploring life experiences through meditation and movement in community. Kat's sculpture work can be found at kattweedyball.com. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice. This episode, the organization is called Pair Mentor. The link is in the show notes. Please give it a look. Any and all donations make a huge impact. And in this conversation with Kat, we discuss perhaps her latest creation, Sleep Awake Camp. The first iteration of Sleep Awake Camp took place this past summer, and Sleepaway Camp is a group of what this summer was 12, 18 to 24-year-olds, put them together for an immersive experience for one month, and it was focused on ways of being, living, and relating to others and relating to self. What I most love about Kat's work at Sleepwake Camp is that it focuses on so many different areas that contribute to our healing and our wholeness and aliveness. There are elements of meditation, concentration, body, movement, strength, cooking, emotional expression, creative expression, self-awareness in intensity, touch as medicine, connection to nature. So, so many things contribute to the ways that we can really feel into who we are. And Kat has consulted on lots of other experts and the breadth of her own experiences to create this amazing experience for folks who are in very formative years, and it really changes the way that these young 18 to 24 year olds are able to relate to themselves and therefore relate to the world. We speak about how in a month, just how much is possible to change through the nervous system. And we also speak about how to integrate these learnings into everyday life, because it's one thing to learn something, and it's another thing to really integrate that into your way of being such that it's a habit that you are infusing into your life. 
Another area that we delve into is Kat's vision for the world and what might be possible if we were all to develop the capacity and skills to be who we really are and to be able to communicate that effectively with others. Kat goes into different practices that you, the listener, can use in your life, different practices that she has used as a parent and things that she does in her own life. This is an incredibly rich conversation. I am super passionate about what Kat is doing at Sleep Awake Camp. I might end up sending my kid there someday in 20 plus years. I, I think it's just such a marvelous creation and so important. So with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Kat has for us today. Kat, thanks so much for being here and welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm delighted to be here with you. I'm very excited to get to know more about you and to dive into Sleep Awake. And before we go there, I kind of, before we hit record, I, I left a little teaser around. I, I have the same question that I start every interview with, and I know that you're eagerly awaiting. I like to start by asking what it was like at your dinner table when you were growing up. Hmm. Well, I feel like a couple scenes come to mind when I was in maybe third or fourth grade. We were still living in Germany in a small village and my dad would come home. He was in the air force and he worked on an air force base nearby and so my mom would cook, but like my mom was never known for her cooking. And you know, so I feel like we had, you know, we would sit down around fairly nutritious, if not like particularly delicious food. And, you know, it's funny, I don't remember a lot of the conversation and, and so much of my life is now dominated by being a parent and you know, what, what are, what is my experience like at our dinner table? But I remember like the imprint on me is of a sense of security, a sense of rhythm that felt supportive, you know, like here's our unit, you know, me and my mom and my dad and my little sister. And here we are, no matter where in the world we are. So the imprint on me is a sense of comfort, and I I do remember more celebratory dinners, you know, like Thanksgiving. And I have a favorite. There's a picture from Thanksgiving with my dad spooning gravy directly into my mouth from the from the gravy <laughs> container. And I don't know. It makes me happy to remember that you know there's how much I enjoyed the playfulness that my dad brought, especially. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm also very curious what you were like as a child. How how would you describe yourself as you were growing up? And you can answer in any way, but I'm I'm also curious about what your aspirations were and did did you have a, a dream for what your life would look like or yeah, what 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 was what was it like being a young cat? Mm. And when I think back to ages around five or six, which is about the age of my children. 
I feel like there was still a predominant sense of beauty and wonder, but often in my own world a bit so that I felt like I had a private world of beauty and awe, but that I didn't necessarily feel like was shared with other people. And that's kind of interesting to reflect on. And yeah, I, I remember often feeling a bit isolated and lonely and, you know, this this probably speaks volumes, but as a kindergartner, I was in Germany and I remember having some interactions that just like weren't working for me. And my mother had introduced me to meditation when I was five years old or had me trained in in the line that she was practicing. And, and so I remember like going off, I'm a, I'm a kindergartner, so I was still like funny to think back. And then I go to this giant like tire tractor tire and I sat by myself, was like going to go meditate by myself off alone from the group. And I think there's so much embedded in that. There's both like this sense of safety that comes from superiority. That was one of the, one of the things that I leaned into as a, as a way to care for myself. And there was also a knowing that there was a resource there of quiet, but I feel like there's such a dance between caring for myself with that personal resource of quiet. And it's a dance that I'm still in, which is then how, how to be in relation with others that I feel so present and so easeful that I don't feel like I need to go somewhere else to resource myself. Mm. What a beautiful question and inquiry to be in. And what a fascinating, I don't think I've ever heard someone be introduced to meditation at such a young age. And it also really resonates with me, this being, I don't think I've ever expressed it personally in the same words that you did, but just noticing beauty and awe and and wonder from a really young age but that also being this isolating experience because it felt maybe this wasn't the word you used but for me it felt strange to share that with other people or I looked around and it didn't seem like that was the way to really belong or to fit in and so I was like okay well <laughs> I guess I'll just go back to there, there were other ways that I cultivated belonging at a young age and I, I know you were an athlete as well. And, and that was probably the way that I channeled that and only recently have opened myself back up to maybe a more gentle, sensitive tapping into beauty and awe. And so before we get into sleep awake, I'm, I'm curious, based on the conversation we've had so far and what I know about you, I, going to MIT never would have seemed like it would have been in the cards or that it doesn't compute for me uh, so what what uh what got you there and what was I guess I want to know more about your like analytical figuring figuring out things in your head side yeah I mean I'd say the predominant the number one thing that comes to mind of why I went to MIT is wanting my father's love 
you know, I, my dad and I were very close and yet I didn't always receive from him verbally the connection that I wanted or the heartfelt expression of love that I was wanting. And so there's a lot of ways that I was wanting to get his love by, you know, through doing things that I knew would please him. And he was an engineer. Uh, he was a, a civil engineer and a mechanical engineer. And so that's kind of the direction I headed. And I got into the Air Force Academy, which was was too much of a compliment. <laughs> I could not, you know, to my dad, I could not go to the Air Force Academy. But MIT, there was a, a sweetness and a rawness about the people and the culture there that I was attracted to when I visited, you know, in that everybody was kind of invited into their quirky weirdness and that was celebrated. And I've, I've always loved, I've always loved math and geometry and, and physics. And, but I realized, you know, after going through undergrad and PhD that, you know, I'm still, I'm still more of an artist with it then I am committed to a life of research because of what I'm really interested in is the process of wonder and discovery and beauty and the whole premise that we can narrow down to these definitive answers and create solidity didn't feel real to me because the deeper I went into my PhD research, it was more evident like how little we know <laughs> and how many more questions actually were there. And I mean, not, to, you know, science has a beautiful place in our society, but it didn't feel like a full reflection of how I wanted to be in the world, mm -hmm. at least with my, the relationship I had with it at the time. For whatever reason, that it just seems like a very common realization that artists, coaches, he coaches, healers have is there's the analytical, some sort of draw to mathematics and the sciences, and realizing there's an immense utility there, but it's not the mystery and complexity of life is far greater than this, and and then we start to take that deep dive. But putting that aside. I think this is a good segue into the meat and potatoes of today's conversation. And when we checked in before actually recording this, I asked you what feels most alive for you. And I would love to kick that to you right now and, and hear what does feel most alive for you. Yeah, I think I want to lead into this from the feeling that I've been working with from just finishing this month long camp for the first time. And it's the meeting of how much pain people are in, in their, in their lives, um, how much of it is usually hidden often from others, um, but even more commonly from ourselves mm -hmm. and, and how on the other side of that, 
when there's a condition for opening up to that pain, then all of a sudden it like, there's the possibility of falling into everything that you're wanting. And so I guess I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, the topic that I would love to talk about is, you know, why is this, you know, why are we in this place of having these incredible physical multidimensional bodies that are capable of not only incredible attuning to our own present moment in in all of its all of its facets but really are the vehicle for being connected with everything else and yeah you know, so just this this puzzle this wondrous puzzle of that we have incredible sensitivity and are actually spending a lot of our energy our life force energy in blocking that sensitivity and it just it feels it feels both good and painful to hold it hold this question at this level to me yeah it resonates so deeply with me and i'm i'm finding myself almost baffled with where I kind of just want to sit with that for a little bit because it seems like the existential human crisis that we're in it's it's how can we how can we be with ourselves and with others in pain such that we're not turning away from it but rather facing it and and then the question of well what's available what becomes available on the other side of that and yeah. I'd be curious to hear, it doesn't have to be from sleep awake, but as you described that and heard me reflect back, is there are there specific examples that show up for you around why A, maybe why this feels so alive for you right now, and B, maybe just any any sort of illustration that demonstrates instead of it being a theoretical, if you face your pain, you feel alive, we have a, a story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take those one at a time. Mm -hmm. I guess one image that's coming up is when I came back from sleep awake camp, which is really, you know, this 30 day experiment of what it's like to hold, hold all the aspects of our humanity from cooking together and eating together to emotional processing and moving our bodies and, in community with elders and children all kind of in the mix and coming out of that really designed container. And I'm laughing because it's like designed to reflect how we used to live together and coming back into kind of more typical life. And I, I run I run a monthly women's group where I live and we played this authentic relating game, which has just really basic rules of only speaking from your personal experiment experience in the present moment and only speaking to the group as a whole and not asking questions. And we we're playing this game and as part of the game's dialogue, it surfaced how much people are holding themselves stagnant, like an image of themselves, so as not to disrupt other people. 
like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> there's so many layers to this, right? But the, I'll just, you know, it's like, I have a sense that there's a certain way of my being that is more comfortable to you so that I will try to hold this way of being so that you will be more comfortable. And like during the camp, I was like, what the, like, really? Like, are we really doing this? <laughs> like, this is the agreement that we have is like, oh, I'll pretend to be a certain way that's actually not reflective of how I am and feels pretty shitty to do for your comfort so that you can do the same for me. And like, this is a kindness. Mm. And I just, anyway, so that was like a recent, I think the reason it struck me is because the whole reason I do the women's group is so that it brings in, it's an invitation of how I want my community, like the the relationships that I want in my community and playing with, you know, more levels of intimacy and openness. And so the, there was that, there's that heartbreak, right. Of just like, what are the agreements that we're making, right? That's just one example, one articulation of an agreement that's really common. But I, you know, we're seeing it with most of the attendees at Sleep Awake also, that you know, they left whatever life that they were in. They've transformed tremendously over a month and they are in a new shape right? A shape that maybe is more relaxed, closer to what feels like a natural, more immediate expression of who they are. And they've come back to the life that they left. And so their shape doesn't fit into the same shape. Their, uh, the agreements that they previously had with all the people around them, the shape that they had agreed to take with all those people doesn't fit how they want to be expressed in the world anymore. And so, you know, a lot of the support right now is how to be in relation to that discomfort of th that transition time. Like when the shape that you are want to be doesn't match, you know, the structures and agreements around you, that's painful, can be, can be painful and and heartbreaking because it takes it's not instant you know you know those relationships don't immediately adjust the you know structures of your life the support don't immediately adjust and yeah so those were kind of two reflections on you know these structures and agreements and shapes and the the pain that is associated when we do move with our heart. I guess some of the good reasons, the protective reasons that we might not move. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first part of the, the question. Yeah. There's so much that I want to get my arms around in that. And so there's two things that come up for me, Kat, as reflections on my end from what you're saying one of them which comes from your website is that we spend 18,000 hours in school as we're educated in kindergarten all the way up through high school 18,000 hours on math 
science, social studies, history, English literature. We learn lots of information and, and lots of ways of thinking. And we spend very, very little, if any time at all, learning nervous system regulation, relating to others, relating to ourselves, mindfulness, meditation. There's very little cultivating of self-awareness that I ever experienced learning in the classroom. So uh, yeah, on one hand, the one of the reasons that we have such trouble relating to each other is we spend very little time developing it as a skill. As a matter of fact, in my experience, a lot of people look at self-awareness or emotional intelligence as pretty stagnant. It's either you have it or you don't have it, and it, it's not really a practicable skill. And my heart breaks for all of the things that I just said. It really does. And a, another reflection I have to what you said is that there is intelligence and wisdom in the being scared or having fear or constriction around speaking up because that might have been punished in some way. We And we might have even gone through a traumatic experience where we mm -hmm. learned it's not, it's not safe for me to tell you that I'm feeling angry or that I'm grieving or that I'm holding someone in contempt. They're, they're all the different things. So I, yeah. I just would love to hear what's what's your reflection on that and, and how did yeah. that play into what you cultivated at Sleep Awake? I mean, first off, it feels appropriate to start with the grief. You know, when we say that we are not teaching young humans how to care for their embodied existence, there's a lot of sadness there. And then, I mean, to wrap in that second part of your question, what is the beautiful intelligence of the fact that we don't? And it feels really clear to me that the beautiful intelligence is if we as a culture were teaching these things, we'd have to feel a lot. If we were teaching these things in all our schools, we would have to feel everything that is stored in our body. It would point to the numbness. It would point to anger. It would point to fear. And it would point to a tremendous amount of grief. And the beautiful intelligence is we as a society do not have the systems in place to metabolize everything that we would feel. You know, one of the things that just one, one sliver of this is many cultures prior to this modern manifestation that we're living in had regular communal grieving. Like it was just understood that there's so many aspects of our lives that bring up grief. I mean, death being just one of them but there are so many forms of grief and loss and the understanding that it's important to grieve as a community because there are pains that are too big for individuals to hold. And because we don't have that, there's the implication or the insinuation that we should be able to hold 
everything that arises in what we feel in our bodies when we can't like some of these pains are too big some of these griefs these fears and it's hard not to you know be holding climate change you know as i'm pointing to, to some of these big emotions they can't be metabolized or related to purely on an individual basis and so the of course you know all these protective mechanisms are so beautifully intelligent to keep us from being completely overwhelmed as a society because both in kind of individual lives but also in collective events we've had to numb experiences that were too much too much to feel and so here we are in this moment in time where we've made collective adaptations to what felt overwhelming and the cost is not getting to relate at a societal level to some of the most beautiful aspects of our humanity and so you know so many cases of anxiety and depression and loneliness kind of a meaninglessness a hollowness like these are really natural really they make complete sense such uh what natural responses to where we are at the moment when so many basic needs aren't being met in the way that they used to be and and so the question that we were asking in in sleep awake camp is like what what intervention if we could make any intervention in in this moment in time you know what what could be most powerful in a human being's life and so first off we we decided to work with 18 to 24 year olds and it's not because people of any age wouldn't benefit from being able to come closer to their internal landscape and relating authentically with other people but it's because if we're looking at a human life this is the point at which the brain is still forming you've just finished this first period with your family and are just moving out into the world so you haven't practiced those same patterns of adaptation for decades right so there's actually this potential for for a lot uh, a lot more flexibility and movement and i will say it was incredible to see that this mm -hmm. indeed this age group like they could see a possibility and feel all the resistance be like no like that doesn't feel safe that doesn't feel true you know no i'm not doing that of that can be for other people but they see other people making that choice and by the next day often you see people just like fully into the possibility of like oh i could snuggle with people and that could be okay it could be safe it could actually be profoundly nourishing um or people who's like i don't dance dancing's not for me mm -hmm. you know 2 hours later they're like I discovered ecstatic dance. I can just move <laughs> from the joy of my body. <laughs> like, let me tell you, this is my new favorite thing in the world. And I mean, so it's just like, 
profoundly beautiful to see how quickly quickly this age group can move toward what they really want even if it's really different from the norms that they grew up with so that's one aspect of the design another aspect is that it's in community and you know our predominant way of meeting their you know therapeutic needs in our society is one-on-one one-on-one relationships and tremendous amount of work can be done but our curiosity is when so much is around loneliness and anxiety in relation to others what if you actually do the healing work in groups and you can experience the safety of being yourself, experience the love from other people when you actually show yourself. And so like your nervous system actually gets to reset to a new understanding of what reality is or could be in your life. And the reason that we made it a month is because we know that the body and the nervous system take time. Like they they need proof over time to to believe you know the mind can move so quickly but what really drives our decisions is our feelings and what what's going on in our bodies even if the mind can justify that it made the choice later so you know, we just we just really knew that there needed to be time for bodies and nervous systems to sink into this feeling of being in community and seeing over and over again, oh, if I if I kind of lean into my resistance here in this moment and share myself and actually see the response, the closeness that comes from, even if it's a difficult thing to say, that's so often you know, saying the difficult thing to another person out of care for the relationship and the other person, it can feel terrifying on the front end, but actually on the back end, what's built is more trust mm-hmm. and more wisdom. So those are, those are some aspects. And, and certainly there's a lot more to say about, about how we designed the camp, but those are some aspects. Yeah. Well, that's where I would absolutely love to go with you just to dive even more deeply into the design of the camp. And maybe specifically before that, I would love to hear, we've, we've talked a lot about the container that's being set, but what was the location and, and why did you choose that location as well? Yeah, well, what we were looking for was a natural environment that was going to be a resource for healing. So, you know, one that in itself was kind of whole and balanced because we're profoundly impacted by the systems around us. And if it's one of health and thriving, then that becomes a resource and also a a teacher. So we, the, the natural aspect was very important to us. We also wanted to be close to some body of water just because it's it's a beautiful way to, if you're moving a lot of emotions, to be able to, to go into water and let it go and release 
and we wanted a bunch of small cabins. We wanted a lot of outdoor time. Anyway, so we looked all over the country and it's hard to find, as it turns out, it's hard, hard to find rentals that aren't like, most camps are booked all summer. But then we happened to find this place that had a spiritual lineage and it was on the big island of Hawaii in the jungle. And it turned out to be a, a beautiful place for this first time in large part because you know, when you walk onto the land, there is a sense of ground. There is a sense of purpose to, to the, the way the whole place is designed that really was a resource um, to, to what we were up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you've named a lot of, I kind of want to lay out the menu for the different elements of the container that you created and and then I'll kick it to you for which one you would like to explore more deeply. So you've named yeah. the the element of healing and community rather than doing this one-to-one, which of course there is a need for one-to-one counseling, but you're saying, well, let's, how can we do this work in community and do it at more of a scale that it just isn't going to, we can't do one-to-one healing work with every single person given the crisis that we're in around anxiety and existential feeling of maybe meaninglessness so there's there's one thread there you also named the element of you had different practitioners come in to do cooking and nutrition there's movement and dance there's maybe mindfulness experts. You, I know that you had an array of practitioners in there and there was an intersection of all the different elements of healing work. And I'm trying to see if I miss anything about what you named. I think those are the two that felt most alive for me. It, where would you like to go yeah. more deeply? I'm going to start with the first just because there's some important nuance or additions I'd like to make. One is, it's not just a matter of necessity. There's a lot about the healing process that will never come up in a one-on-one interaction because of the nature of the interaction of usually a slightly more, you know, whoever's the coach or the therapist actually has a little bit of hierarchy. Mm. Like there's this dynamic that's built in to the interaction and typically where some of the juiciest work comes up is when we're in a group, we start projecting relationships of our family of origin onto the group. And if the group is big enough, there's room for mom, dad, siblings. And you know, so often the things that are most challenging are in fact, the path, you know, are in fact the opportunity for the most important healing. And so that's an aspect of the group work that is so powerful. And our, the whole camp worked off of a couple, four basic principles. And the second, the second principle, principle was resistance is fertile. Mm. Um, so the, the idea that we're really, uh, every time we see resistance, knowing that that's fertile ground, that's juicy. 
um, and start to retrain instead of having resistance be a signal for running away, having a resistance be a signal for curiosity and maybe even oh opportunity. Like after you've had enough reps where resistance turned into something cool, then you're like, oh, resistance. And so that was part of the opportunity for the month where people were really like, and it, it was awesome. I mean, I remember some morning check-ins with with our young people and they were, they were all right, I'm feeling a, a lot of resistance, but so our third principle was get it wrong. Like just move, just do it, mm-hmm. get it wrong. And they're like, oh, I'm so excited to get it wrong today. Like, I'm just going to go to this area that I feel so much resistance. And I'm just going to get it wrong. I'm just going to mm-hmm. do it. And so just to see that excitement around the playfulness. And I think that's the other aspect I wanted to bring up with groups is what if, healing didn't feel like work mm-hmm. what if it didn't feel like oh now i need to go to my appointment what if it just felt like play like we show up and this is the way we interact and because we want to be connected and because we want to be close to each other of course we're gonna like say the juicy kind of scary thing and get it wrong and see what happens because it's more alive that way and more real that way and and then there's laughing and there's hugging and there's crying like all the things that we actually want to be expressing to the people around us and so i think at the heart that's that's what it's all about is like what if healing were just how we live together it was just fun it's just what we wanted yeah oh that is so beautiful and so something as as a stray observation, something that I'm tracking in this conversation is even in one of your answers, the ability for us, if we open our heart, it could be really challenging, but the ability for us to feel real grief and uh, and if we allow it to be expressed, if we allow the grief to be expressed, like within a couple of minutes later, we were laughing about something else. And to be available, I'm just um, aware, I'm tuned into right now the, the beautiful gift, both the challenge of having an open heart because it's, it's not fun. If you haven't built it up in your nervous system, it can be really fucking hard to say the scary thing and then be met with some form of rejection. But what also feels possible is what you're describing here, this oh, we get to experiment with life, we get to play, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be so hard. And that is, when you can see it modeled by by other people in a group, and there's already an implicit buy in, right? So everyone's agreeing to like, this is the thing that we signed up for. My God, what a playground it can become. And we don't have to do it in areas where you kind of named this already earlier in the conversation as a challenge which I actually would love to go there with you right now. It's well, how do we then integrate this back into our life, right? Like there's a reason they came to sleep awake, the, these 18 to 24 year olds, and they are seeming, yeah. seems like they were adaptable. They learned a lot. They started to have even a whole lot of fun and playing with it. How do they then go back into their life and and bring that? And I I know that's probably a little bit raw right now because it didn't happen that long ago, but it's more kind of a wonder question. 
Yeah, well, let's be in the wonder space. I mean, I can, I can say already, this is the edge that they are playing with. And it looks all different ways. Like it can look like, you know, they come home and they have a new roommate. And instead of just being afraid of that relationship about expressing their wants, they're going to say, okay, you know, sometimes I express my emotions and sometimes it's kind of loud. And I just wanted to let you know that sometimes I'm going to have feelings and I'm going to want to express them. And there's going to be some noise involved. And I will try to like give you notice, but I just wanted to let you know and see if you have any requests around that. Right. So like, it can look like that, you know, those kinds of conversations about what they need and requests and like, so that's exciting and happening. It can also look like games that people are playing for themselves. So like one of them might be noticing how much they're afraid of rejection. And so they say, okay, to their buddy from camp who they're checking in with every week, they'll say, okay, I am going to get five rejections this week, like where I'm going to say things that I actually want Mm. and like, see what happens. Like, and people might say yes or no, you know, because we don't control what other people say, but we can, we can be true to ourselves and share ourselves. And, and I think some of the nuance though, is like at camp, people were really going for it, you know, like, this is what I want. And really trusting that the other person could be responsible for saying what they wanted and not like not leaving themselves just because I have this want. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they go out into the world, that's not the agreement that everybody already has, like that everybody's responsible for caring for themselves. It's actually not the agreement, you know, as we talked about earlier, there's sometimes an agreement of, oh, we're all going to kind of codependently care for each other. And so, but as an alternative, we, we help them find where's the place that they can meet other people where they're at and still be vulnerable. And so, for example, you know, instead of making the big request that they don't know what the other person's going to do or say, and it could be awkward or intense. They might just say, Hey, I noticed that I want to have more connection with you. But when I think about the things that I might say or ask, I get, I'm not sure how you're going to react. And I'm wondering, you know, what, what are you wanting in our relationship? And would you be open to me? How would, how would you feel about me sharing more about what I want? And you know, so we're helping them find those places that are authentic and are a step towards what they want and is more a real expression, but it's not going to, not going to trigger the other person tremendously. Right. It's like really checking. Mm. Oh, that is so, again, what a, a courageous and bold act and a beautiful act it is to be able to articulate. Yeah, I'm, I'm in touch a little bit with what I was like when I was that age or even on the top end of that when I was 24 years old and just how utterly terrifying it would be to step into a relationship with someone that 
what underneath it all I was really desiring a deeper connection with. And for me to be able to stand there and say, you know, <laughs> I'm noticing that I have a desire for more connection with you. And I'm really scared of what what might happen if I say what those what those desires are and how you might react. And I'm curious, what does connection look like to you? I've done a lot of inner work, Kat, and there's still a few people who are popping up for me where it's like, if I went up to them and said that, I'd be shitting my pants. I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. And it's, uh, it's incredible that you have helped. I guess what, one of my curiosities is, could you give, uh, I know that you probably had uh, a a spectrum and array of different types of beautiful humans show up, but it was 16, 18 to 24 year olds, right? It was 14 this year. We had 14. Had a couple that didn't work out at the end. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm curious, what were, what were they coming in with? Like what, what would that conversation have? I know that you're probably having to project a little bit, but you had some conversations with them before they attended sleep awake. What was it like for them to try and stand and have a conversation like that before sleep awake? Well, I think I'll just, I'll start by, so we, we had a pretty extensive interview process. They filled out applications that involved vulnerable videos and, you know, heartfelt shares. And then we had a one hour interview process. And part of the interview, we would play a game and that game, you know, that, that game would involve some form of really authentic relating in the moment. And the feedback that I got from people was sometimes like, I've never spoken to an adult in this way, you know, or I feel like I can share so much about myself that I don't usually feel like I can share. And so I think for most people, you know, before the camp, the reality feels the reality of what they feel they can speak to from their personal experience feels much more narrow, but the practice and the reps that they're getting through the month is seeing how much fun it is to be finding those places where they're kind of nervous to share it or nervous to ask a person about something they're curious about or something they want. And just, I mean, you can just see sort of the joy erupt, you know, as they're, <laughs> as they're kind of connecting and be like, oh crap, I actually asked for that. And the person was excited to give it to me and like, oh my goodness. Um, you know, and I, I think it just, it, it affects so many, all the aspects of our lived experience. If we know that not only are our wants, you know, available for us to be feeling and be in touch with, um, but actually there's a lot of people who want to meet our needs, like who want to, who are really enjoy the things that we want. And I think that that's one of those aspects that gives me so much hope and excitement that in the unlocking, like in people discovering how beautiful their delight is, like how beautiful their vision for what an awesome life would be, 
the more people are opening to that and inviting people into that, the more beautiful our lives, our collective lives will be. And I feel like, you know, in contrast to the more hollow shells that we've kind of all agreed to be in relation with each other, like, what if we're all these like fountains of our unique, um, just who we are, just who we are. And we get to play off of that in all of all of the messiness that's involved. The, you know, because not all, a lot of people would be like, oh, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if that cannot shatter us, but we can continue to, you know, be in, okay, that one, that aspect of my imagining is not for you. Okay. I still love you. And I'm going to go continue to do the things that I want to do. I feel like that's the possibility. And I guess one other thing that I wanted to say is just point to how contagious it is, you know, that as soon as somebody has decided, Hey, this is how I want to be in the world. If they want to be that way with other people, they're inviting other people in. Like they're inviting, hey, I kind of like to interact with people this way. Like, do you think even though we're friends and, you know, we're not romantically involved, could we hold hands during this movie? Because it actually is really soothing to my nervous system to be in touch with another person. Would that be okay with you? I don't know. Like, I want to check in with you about our definition of friendship and just to open up that possibility of more connection and i i think as we think about the future like our dreams our beautiful wonderings is you know what if five percent of incoming college classes did this month-long program you know if five percent of a community had this way of being and relating what would happen over four years? And especially if it was continued that every year, 5% of the class, like how would that spread and become normalized in the entire community? And it just gives me tremendous, um, I'm actually getting chills at the thought of everybody being able to stand up for their wants, like on college campuses, like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what's okay with me. And I'm okay with saying the things that aren't okay with me. And it doesn't mean that you're bad, but I need to be truthful to myself. And, you know, just, you know, things that we struggle so much with around, you know, honoring each other's bodies and respecting, you know, all the different, you know, healing, healing the history of racism in our country. You know, the more we can stand stand grounded, stay in our bodies in relation to all that's coming up in us and have the tools to be steady and take care of ourselves around really charged topics. I feel like, oh, like that's where there's, you know, the possibility for, for new paths. Well, something that comes up for me that it feels very top of mind because it's happened in the past couple of weeks or so is so that there's every single interaction is a chance to show up and to affect that contagion that you're talking about. 
And of late, when someone asks me how I'm doing, I take a beat. And sometimes I, I give the the canned answer and I, I say that I'm good. And I, you know, I, I've made the determination that this isn't really the person for me to authentically reveal and, and share where I'm at. But there have been a few times in the past couple of weeks where I checked in with myself and told them where I was really at, you know, like I, I'm feeling a little bit like I'm not enough right now. Mm-hmm. I'm scattered all over the place. I'm checking how many likes my LinkedIn post got really worried about who my next few podcast guests are going to be just feeling yeah, a little, a little lost and, and just naming this, I can feel that I'm getting more, more grounded and, and back in touch with myself. And there were lots of different variations of ways that I said that to folks, but I think to a human, every single one of them said, thank you for sharing that with me. It gives me permission to, be authentic with you and and they kind of returned the the serve back and and shared what was up for them and the connection that is actually there underneath that instead of just brushing by it and going I'm good how are you doing it sounds like that was you know amplified all the way up at sleep awake where everyone was really getting the chance to authentically they were building that connection with themselves. They were getting more and more in touch with what they wanted. They were saying it to other people. They were realizing in their nervous system, I'm going to be just fine, even if my want isn't the same thing as someone else's want. And I'm hearing that there's a, there's a vision for that to be in the world, even if, if it's just 5% more in, in universities. What if, what if children or adolescents who are becoming adults if just 5% more of them were showing up with that level of awareness and authenticity, what would, what would be possible? And I'm curious, like that's, that's kind of where I want to play. What, what comes up? You, you named that you had the chills just thinking about it. And, and I felt like I was bouncing all over the place inside of me, but what, what happens Um, when you, when you think of a world like that? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll start with just in your example of what you've been playing with the last couple of weeks, like close connection is not so far away. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a mental idea sometimes of like, well, we're gonna have to go on two friend dates and maybe on the like fourth hangout I'll share the you know like yeah you know when when actually the the possibility is a lot closer. And I think what that points to for me is like that I'm almost like afraid to name, but I think that's the, you know, we're in the right spot. Like, what if this could move fast? And like, there's heartbreak in naming it, but it's like, what if it were contagious? Like, what if, what if we were in a space where people started feeling this is, I don't even have to understand fully why this doesn't feel good, why it doesn't feel satisfying, but I can, I can see that people around me are leaning into what's hard and like inviting me into connection in ways that I really want, even though it feels uncomfortable. And like, I just imagine all this energy that would come into the world, all this creativity that would come into the world, like 
you know, of course, I mean, everything is always in balance, right? So it's also the grief, but like the grief and the fear, but then would come the actions that are appropriate for that grief and fear. And, you know, the ground and the strength and the relational strength to be able to metabolize how much hurt there is, how much fear there is, but stand and like, Hey, you know, what feels good is standing up for this and, you know, feeling the, the wholeness and strength within one's own body and feeling backed up by relationships that you know that you can turn to in moments of struggle and difficulty. And so this, you know, a contagious empowerment for people to, to know they're held. And yeah, I mean, that brings up like, what does it look like to have a society where everybody feels secure like where everybody trusts and that love is available to them and care is available to them and like i'm saying you know we're going to this place where it's like i'm feeling the heartbreak and like this is what i that's what i want it's like a nervous system where something surprising happens or I realize I made a mistake and it doesn't turn to inward hurt. It doesn't go like I did something wrong. I did something bad, but it's just like, Oh, like, wow, that's not how I want it to go or how I want to impact other people. And so instead of putting all that energy inward towards that like self self hurt, if everybody were trusting that there's nothing wrong with them, that like making mistakes and making missteps is just absolutely part of this life and a really necessary part of how we create and like just this world where we're all forgiving ourselves constantly. Sign me up for that world. <laughs> 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 oh, that is the world that I envision too. And, and you said it really beautifully. I, I won't try and echo it back in any different way, but I want to be part of that world. I'm, I'm finding myself really curious, Kat. I know that you have two young boys, two young children. How has this experience affected you as a parent or your, your view on parenting or the way that you relate to children in general? Wow, so many, so many facets, but let's start. One facet I'll start with is that it matters entirely how how I am and not what I say mm -hmm. that more than anything they will learn about life based on how I behave in every dimension because they really they see everything they notice everything 
And I mean, now this points to everything, right? Like if I want them to trust themselves, then I need to really trust them. You know, so if they say something's important and it's really inconvenient for me, it's really inconvenient for me, but it doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't important. You know, I, so I think that's that's an example of the the dance as a parent. You know, and I think it's just constantly seeing how how important is that. You know, a student when we were at camp remarked like, "Wow, you gave your son a choice between." wearing the pants he was wearing to the ocean or changing into swim shorts. And he chose wearing the pants he's wearing. And I was like, okay, if you want to wear those pants into the ocean, that's fine with me. And the student was like, wow, like you gave him that choice and you just let him do it. And, and I did. And I think you that constant, like really staying fresh of, is that just some idea I have that's important of like what, what a child at a beach should look like. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, therefore, what does it imply about me as a parent if my child is soaking wet in a pair of jeans at the beach? And so really understanding like where, where are my impulses coming from? And is it important? Is that, is that really important? Yeah, I think another you know, facet of that is just wanting, you know, especially as a woman, but just as a human, like wanting him to witness me doing the things that I feel are important. And so, you know, it, it would be one thing to, to just kind of hide, you know, I could hide and like, I meditate and I'm taking care of my kids and that's all sweet and wonderful, but to be really true to myself, like I, you know, there's a fire, there's an adventurousness in me. Um, and there's, a longing to be responding to the how I experience the world right now. And by working on sleepaway camp, that is for me right now an honest and it's an honest response. And it's one that like it's a joy because it comes, it it comes from the life that I have lived and the set of experiences that I've had that make it a meaningful contribution to me. And I want, you know, that feels important to me to be including in my life and have them see that I can be a mother and a partner and someone with, with a big heart who is doing, doing things that are a bit scary at times or new and where I'm definitely making mistakes and needing to adjust, but really, yeah, wanting to, maintain an integrity in my relationship with my family and with myself and not kind of lose myself in any one aspect. Thank you for going there in all of the ways that you went there just now. I, it's, I, what I'm, what I'm most struck by and, and there's, there's ways that we hear things like this all the time that actions are louder than words, but I think that we really lose that a lot of the time, especially as parents who are conveying messages to children. While I'm not a parent, I can certainly relate to, I don't know, for example, if, if someone, if a parent tells their kid, 
follow your dreams, pursue your passion while said parent is grinding it out and doing a job that they really don't like and, and doesn't seem to be experiencing a lot of joy. Kids are smart. They're going to internalize that those are just words and that's not what's actually being demonstrated in the household or yeah, I'm trying to think of other, other examples that might be common, but do as I say, not as I do is a very common thing I hear from, from parents. And it's, we, we model each other's behavior. We don't, words and language is very important, but if the, the intention and your way of being isn't behind the words, just struck by how, how much all of that matters. So uh, yeah, really appreciating that you named that and the the level of courage it takes as a mother to model that to model all of the stuff to your children and and what a blessing that must be for your children to see a mom who's living into her truth and creating and and doing all of the things that make her come alive and most human thanks for reflecting that back I want to do the best for them and for myself but i one thing that you said it just struck a chord, which was, it almost feels like society at large is in, is in a stress state, right? Is in yes. a sympathetic, you know, when we're in our sympathetic nervous system, we're constantly responding to fears, right? And so of course, like STDs and condoms, that's what we need to be focusing on, right? But if society shifted towards being in the parasympathetic, then we could be more like, oh, what would feel good right now? What would, what do I want right now? Like, how could I be creative with other people about like, what could happen right now? And anyways, I just, that was an interesting comment where it just felt like, yeah, just thinking about the societal nervous system and, you know, certainly sleep awake camp speaks to the, you know, is, we're working on an individual nervous system, but, you know, so curious about like, what are the things that will affect the collective nervous system? And I don't know, I, I'm so curious about the kind of way waves that could move through our society in a positive way. I feel like I can think of so many things that move through our society that move us more towards sympathetic. And I, I want, I want more of the examples of what are the waves that move through our society that move everybody into parasympathetic. I'm so curious with that. I want that to exist. May it exist. May, may many waves <laughs> parasympathetic societal change come into our lives mm. yeah it seems like i mean there are some examples that are that come to mind for me of of those waves but they aren't what i'm struck by as i think about all of them is that they are all done in a pretty passive way instead of an active kind of being in the story versus being a witness of the story so watching a really moving movie or experiencing art and theater mm -hmm. all of those can evoke 
so much in us. And, and even for me watching sport, there's an, there's real aliveness, but if you remove the tribalism and the, you know, like I'm from New York and they're from Boston and fuck Boston, whatever, all that, there's people who are really coming alive and moving their body and in sync. And yet those are all ways in which we are witnessing other people come alive. And what would it, what would it look like for all of us to have those, those, avenues open for us where we feel like yeah i'm the i'm the hero of my own story i'm gonna show up to life with what makes me come alive what what would be possible there and cat is there is there anything that we haven't discussed around sleep awake that you would like to invite into the conversation now yeah i guess just i feel like you know, this project is part of part of an expression, part of a wave that exists in our society more broadly. Like we're we're writing kind of an energy or a need, but you know, we're just one expression. And I, you know, it feels important to name because it's it's the wave is related to you know the hurt you know the headlines that we keep saying seeing about you know teen anxiety rising suicide rates the impacts of social media and and the wave is also about the yearning of what everyone what many sense is possible but feels quite removed from what's available and I just it just feels important to name that okay like you know here's our experiment here's here's what we're creating in response to see like hey could this intervention be something that wants to be one of those waves that shifts people into parasympathetic or gives them the tools but I you know after doing this first one and seeing, you know, seeing like having this dream shared with a friend and just putting in, putting in the time over a year and holding the vision and staying focused and then seeing it blossom with like real humans. I guess I'm just connected to this very hopeful base of, gosh, we're incredible human beings and that you know, every human being on this earth is designed with the capacity to have creative insight come in to their experience and has the tools, you know, just the hardware to be able to transform that into a creation that's formed. And, you know, so I, I hope that there are many others, and I know there are many others um, riding this wave, and it feels it feels good to be tapping into the fact that there's incredible care and love at work in in sort of the restoration of our our shared connection and humanity and feelings of beauty and pleasure and wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, Kat, I have just a few more questions for you. Um, okay. 
finding myself curious, are there, if you had to name maybe just a couple of people, who would you say has influenced your work as a practitioner most? And, and or I'll give you the option of maybe a, a book that has, that helped you really connect very deeply with your essence. Hmm. Um, well, I feel really lucky to have a number of mentors come to mind. And I'll mention, I'll mention one. And her name is Amy Fox. And she's just, she's really seen me. You know, she's really, we've known each other for over a decade and she officiated my wedding and she has held ceremonial spaces for when my children were born and when I transitioned work, you know, she's really been, been part of my community and also a, you know, an officiant for milestones in my life. And but I, I've been thinking about this actually, as, as I become a mentor to, to young people, that the, the, the core of it feels like, like seeing somebody else's wholeness and beauty and that they have everything that they need inside of themselves and just standing for like, I love love you. I'm here for you. I'm in such support of your path. And no matter what you need, just, just let me know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm so, so thankful to have been given that imprint. And, you know, it's something that I wish for all beings. Amy is going to be a future guest. I'll, I'll be speaking with her in a month. And I'm so looking forward to having her and what she does at Mobius is beautiful. It's wonderful work. And I can sense how much of an impact that she's had on your life. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm very touched by that. What's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Hmm. I mean, it feels like every, any time where I relax, whatever I was bringing from previous moments and open to the freshness of what's here, it's just so stunning. Mm -hmm. But I love seeing leaves flutter. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the movie Soul before? Yeah. The, I've probably watched it three or four times now. And there's a scene where I think you probably already know where I'm going with this, but it's not a leaf, but it's those little, it looks like a wing almost where it spins around. What's it called? <laughs> well, this is not, I said seed pod, but also known as helicopter seed. Helicopter <laughs> not the seed. scientific names. <laughs> <laughs> well every single time that i watch that movie and it, there's the scene where the the main character who's a jazz musician who is just desperately searching for his purpose and there's a, a moment where he looks up and 
but that helicopter seed is just floating down into his hand. And in a way, I'm, it just feels like everything is connecting at once for me when I see that. Like, yes, that's the beauty of life is so available in something as simple as that. And oh man, the leaves, leaves fluttering evoked that for me. And I, I'm not against seeking major highs and accomplishments and all of that fun stuff, but there's, there's beauty to be had in, in so many little moments. And as I just look right above my laptop right now, I am in, in an interesting way, I'm very soothed by rainstorms and it is pouring outside here. And I'm just taking in the moment of being soothed by that, by the, the sound of the rain and being in the comfort of a cozy home in a, in a very cozy and a meaningful conversation. So with all that said, Kat, uh, before I ask my very final question, where would you invite folks to connect with you online? Sleepawake.camp is the website for the camp. And my, my art website is cattweedyball.com. Awesome. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes. And we did not mention many resources in this conversation, but any that we did will also be linked into the show notes. And the final question that I would love to ask you, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I'm always fascinated by the different answers and the way that people dissect this. But how would you describe in your words in this moment what a meaningful life is? It feels like a life lived in utter surrender to what's true for you and authentic for you. Can't help but keep the heart close to everything that is happening, whether it's beautiful or painful. And I don't think meaning, you know, meaning doesn't exclude anything. Meaningful is the inclusion of everything. And so, you know, I think just staying really close to what's here. Well, Kat, I would like to show you some more appreciation in the form of, well, first, just reflecting back one of the reviews from Sleep Awake. And if you couldn't already tell from this conversation that Kat and I had, Sleep Awake is incredibly wonderful work. But here is a testimonial from one of the attendees. It's taught me how to be a human. It's one of the most uniquely human experiences I've ever had. What does it mean to be truly human and to meet life at the fullness of its potential depth and to meet yourself at the fullness of your own potential depth, the depth that's already awaiting, calling, begging you to meet it. Sleep awake is the space you come to, to meet it, to meet your fullness, your wholeness, to dance life and to be danced by life. Turns out you have a, a poet as an attendee I love being danced by life as a, a closing there. 
And one of the other forms of appreciation I want to give you right now, um, right now, what feels alive for me is when you said it's not the words being spoken, it's it's how it's your your way of being or the way that you're transmitting the words. And regardless of whatever words were coming out, which were profound, and I took a lot out of them, the transmission, your way of being is, it felt like a hug to my nervous system. It felt like uh, just hearing your voice can bring folks into, there's a real grounded calmness, but ferocity in, in your way of being. And it invites, it, it invites me to be in this grounded sense of there's beauty to be had everywhere, but also this heightened sense of possibility of what, what a beautiful world we could live in and dream of. And thank you for sharing your gifts in this space with me and, and for joining the podcast. Thank you for that beautiful reflection. It means a lot to me. And thank you for having me today. Yeah. And to all the listeners, I I hope that after this conversation, you can have some sort of takeaway that you are enough. You're a beautiful, creative, alive, fully capable human being. And thank you so much for listening. Take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.